So it's great to be able to share a little bit with you. Um, it's interesting, that passage was one of the passages that I used um, when we were at the orphanage speaking with the girls there, and we were doing various things at the orphanage, uh, speaking in the evenings, uh, doing some craft with them, doing worship with them. Wow, they really know how to worship these girls, quite amazing. Uh, and uh, I, I, I happened to talk, talk on this passage, be, I was talking about fear and how God wants us to overcome fear and how kind of God wants us sometimes to step out and the miracles that can happen when we do that. Um, I'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, it was just an amazing time being with them. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, it was great going as a family. One of our concerns was a practical concern on the way. Um, the weather kind of looked like it had been raining for about a month every day, all the time, uh, which is kind of fine. We weren't too worried about going and getting a good tan, um, but it was nice not to be completely washed out. And travelling around Sri Lanka when it's kind of too monsoony, is a bit hairy. Uh, we got there and we had spectacular weather. It was amazing. In fact, one day we got really burnt, so some of you prayed too much. Um, but that was great. It was amazing. We had a fantastic, fantastic time there. Um, I want to ask a question, and it kind of all of this, I guess, ties in together, because as uh, I'm going to share a little bit, I've got a little bit of video to show you, I kind of felt like God was speaking to us, God's speaking to me, and wants to use some of what we're learning to uh, challenge and encourage us. So a simple question, wonder what dreams you have. What are your dreams? What dreams do you really have? What dreams would you be prepared to admit to? <laughs> what dreams maybe have you had in the past, but you've kind of put on hold, or things that you feel... Oh, does God really, is God really interested in that? Is that a possibility? What do you, if, if you find that hard, what do you really long for? It's one of the questions I love asking these girls, talking to these girls in Sri Lanka, about what dreams they have for the future. These are girls who had no dreams for most of their life as they grew up. The, the, the school takes, they're between four, four and 18, um, and many of these girls have been rescued from horrendous circumstances. And to be able to talk to them about what dreams they have now is really, really beautiful. Here's um, a passage from Ephesians 3. Um, maybe it will spark some thoughts for you. This is a kind of uh, a living Bible translation, I think. Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Is that the God you know? He's able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts or hopes. That's Ephesians 3.20. So we went off to Sri Lanka. We'd obviously, I'd already uh, made connection with this place and the church there. And we're financially supporting these mission partners, which is exciting for us as a new church here. As God's called us to mission in Whitcomb and the church is beginning to grow here. And St. Tom's, we're d- developing the ch- church family there and growing that as well. One of my priorities in coming here as vicar straight away was, as the, as the finance began to increase, we made a commitment, I got the PCC, to bravely, uh, bearing in mind the history of Whitcomb, where they've never had enough money, and they've been struggling financially to do things for years and years and years. One of the first things we felt when we came here is that we were going to commit uh, a, a minimum of 10% of any income that came in to give straight away on mission, either local or international mission. So we set aside this pot of money, um, because I believe you can't outgive God, uh, and God wants to give to us, and God has given to us as a church, and we're saying, oh, we want to plough this back into, specifically into projects locally, nationally, and internationally. So we were looking to develop mission partners abroad where we could do that, and God led us to these guys in Sri Lanka. And we had such a joy of teaming up and meeting with these guys and seeing the fruit of transformed lives. I don't know if you know much about Sri Lanka. It's a beautiful country, lots of tourism, but it's also suffered the ravages of civil war, Tam- Tamil tigers, um, 
fighting against the kind of the sort of the government there. Many, 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 many people killed. Lots of bombs, lots of terrorism going off for about 30 years. The country was kind of grinding to a standstill, caused a lot of problems. That's over now, but there's still simmering tensions. It's a primarily a Buddhist country, lots of Hinduism as well, um, growing Christian uh, numbers, but the Christians are increasingly being persecuted in some areas. It's now on the kind of watch list for um, Open Doors and other charities that look at the persecuted church. It's um, numbered within their kind of countries where there's growing persecution. And certainly I met some people this time, and particularly before, um, uh, who had been driven out of their villages um, by Buddhist priests because they'd become Christians, and in fact whole communities becoming Christians. Uh, and there's a lot of power, obviously, with religion. We know that, we know that but sadly, with, within Christianity, don't we? Institutions can carry power, and for many of these communities where there'd been a strong religious hold for a long time, suddenly people becoming Christians and experiencing all new levels of freedom, there's been a backlash against that. But within that context they're seeing remarkable numbers of people becoming Christians, they're seeing God's spirit moving, they're seeing people healed. Uh, And really the church that we're there supporting, a fairly new church, is beginning to really grow and is really, really vibrant. And connected to this church is this orphanage that we worked in and helped them as well. It's a fantastic place to be. The young couple, Jerry and Isabel and their little, little daughter Christian, we lived with them for a week in the house right next to the orphanage. We spent time with them, we ate with them, we fellowshiped with them, we worshipped, we prayed, we kind of worked together, we did some visiting and stuff. And they're a fantastic young couple um, who, whose heart is for church planting, heart is for kingdom, apostolic ministry, reaching out, equipping people to go and serve God in the nation and in the nations. They're a fantastic young couple and it's great to partner with them. They recorded a short little video, thank you, to the church here. Um, and I've put it together with just a few images to give you a little bit, very, very short flavour of some of the things that we saw. Hopefully, so some of you think, hmm, I want to go there now. That's what we're looking for. So... Let's run the video. It's amazing, as Sarah said, a little money goes a long way. Um, we're doing an enormous building project here that's going to you know, happen to re-roof and transform the kitchen area and the cafe area and put in new heating. It's probably going to cost us, realistically, half a million, maybe more than that. We trust God to provide because we sense God's calling us to make this a centre that's for the city and beyond. Not as a mega church, but a church that's mega a church that's a family, a church that's a welcome place, a church that's for the community, in the community. You know, but out there in Sri Lanka, they're literally building with breeze blocks, you know, sort of $10 at a time, and they're building, literally physically building a church. So it's great to be partnering with that. But church isn't about buildings, it's about people. And these girls, um, Beth made this beautiful jewellery, you saw in a couple of the photos there, that little girl, she's such a cutie, that one. She's a right little monkey, she's fantastic. And on her little thing it says, free. And, and this was the jewellery that, that the church here, um, various ones of paid for it, and Beth worked so hard to make it. These girls have nothing, many of them. They've come from homes where they literally have nothing. And my Joey collected some cuddly toys to take out. You should have seen these girls light up as they got one of these cuddly toys to have on their bed. And each of them were presented with this jewellery that said words like free, chosen, loved, beloved. And these jewellery that they have around their neck, it's kind of a reminder that God is with them and God is for them. And you see these lives transformed. The majority of them, when they come into the home, they're not Christian. The home, although it's run by the church, it doesn't kind of make them Christian. What they simply say is, we're a Christian home. We'll pray as a team. On Sunday, we all go to church. You'll need to come with us. And they all come to church. And the first few weeks, they're standing there about not having a clue what's going on. And by about week three, they're lost in worship. And Jesus has encountered them. And they're transformed lives full of hope and beauty. It's a really, really wonderful thing to experience and to see firsthand what the power of love 
and the power of Jesus can do to lives to bring transformation. From the most darkest despair, some of these girls' lives, I couldn't even begin to tell you some of the things they've gone through. Not just abandoned, but beaten and abused in the most heinous ways. And here they are, well, you saw in the photos themselves, full of joy, full of hope, restored lives. It's beautiful. So what about us? And what about this passage? I shared it with them. That, that story of, of Jesus um, walking out and, and meeting the disciples and them in the storm and freaking out and Peter walking on the water is perhaps a really familiar passage to us. You'll have maybe, if you grew up in church, you'll have heard it in Sunday schools, you'll have probably drawn the pictures of Jesus walking on the water. You'll know that naughty Peter took his eyes off Jesus and sunk into the waves. You know, we know the story really, really well, don't we? But I wonder who you identify with in that story. It's a story where there's kind of danger that's, and fear that's really um, it kind of permeates the whole narrative. This story comes after the feeding of 5,000 people. They've done this inc- Jesus has done this incredible miracle. The disciples have witnessed firsthand this crazy supernatural feeding of the masses with a couple of tuna sandwiches. And then Jesus says, right, I, I want you to get in this boat and I want you to cross the Sea of Galilee. It's quite strong. He commands them to go. And Jesus, who's been tracked around by the crowds, by the masses, he does what's really sensible for all of us, whether we're in ministry or in our own lives, sometimes just takes some time out with the Father. And he goes up the mountain. And he just goes up the mountain and he prays. He prays through the night. He wants to be with his Father. The crowds have been pressing in on him. The kind of dumb disciples have been asking stupid questions. <laughs> you know, I, there's that great moment where there's all the masses. And, and, and the disciples say, Jesus, you better send these guys away to go and get some lunch. You know, we've been really compassionate. Yeah, we're thinking about them, Jesus. Go and send them away. And he turns to them and says, you feed them. And you could imagine the abstract terror on their faces at that point when they're thinking, okay, how much money have we got? Where's Judas? He's probably got a few coins knocking about. How can we buy food for this bunch? You know, the abstract fear and terror. They just don't get it. They never get it. But Jesus is so patient with them. But Jesus goes up the mountain, spends some time on his own, and they start rowing across the lake. And we're told that it starts getting really hairy. Now, when I used to think of this story, it often talks about the lake. And I, I don't know if any of you have been to Porter's Head. There's like a little rowing lake there, a really small little rowing lake. And I have to be honest, in my mind, I'm, I often think, when I think about this, of like four or five blokes in kind of one of those rowing boats just sailing across Porter's Head Lake. If that's your image, maybe it's just mine, <laughs> you need to get rid of that. This is a big sea. We're told that they're about three miles out, so it's quite a lot bigger than Porter's Head Lake. They're right out in the waters, and the waves begin raging. And they're, fr- they're afraid. Uh, these are kind of, many of these are seasoned fishermen, so they kind of, they recognise, and if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, it's known that you get these squalls that can suddenly erupt, and the waves can kind of pour over the side, and it can get really, really scared, scary. They're obviously very, very scared. The Greek word that's used there is basanizo, which means torment. They're tormented by the sea and the waves, so these guys are pretty petrified. And I guess Jesus is suddenly not with them. They're alone, they're isolated. Water itself can be quite threatening, can't it? There was a terrible tsunami in the part of Sri Lanka that we went to at the end, and we were right on the coast. And, and I, Pastor George and Jerry had been told, talking about when the big tsunami came. Do you remember, was it back in 2005, something around about that sort of time? And they all came down from Candy to help many of the people. They got, actually, they rescued some girls and took them back to look after them because they'd lost everything. And they were talking about the tsunami where it just rolled in across all this flat land. And I'm sitting, the last week we were there, looking at the sea, which is about 40 feet away. I'm <laughs> thinking, I don't want a tsunami while I'm here. It can make you scared. The power of the sea can be incredibly intimidating. And so they've been battling through the night 
raging against the waves. The disciples are afraid, they're scared, they're tired. It's really interesting when you look at the parallel accounts of this story. We're told um, in Mark's account that Jesus is up the mountain. I said this at the 8 a.m. This, this passage today, interestingly, is from the lectionary. It's today's reading. I'm sure you all knew that. You've probably all read the lectionary today, all of you. This is actually t- today's reading. And I was saying at St. Tom's this morning, Mark's gospel, it says that Jesus is up on the mountain and he's praying through the night. And he says he sees the disciples straining at the oars. Now, Jesus hasn't got a night vision scope and a, a kind of great telescope. It, they're three miles away. I think there's something deeply reassuring about that. That although they feel alone, although they feel they're in the middle of the storm and Jesus, where the heck are you? Remember, Jesus is praying. He's the great intercessor. He prays for us. And in their moment of anxiety and terror, Jesus sees them. Jesus sees you. Wherever you're at right now, you might feel like you're straining at the oars. You're in the middle of a storm. You're not alone. Jesus sees you. And Jesus is moved by what God reveals to him supernaturally. And he comes off the mountain and he goes to them. It says it's in the fourth watch of the night that Jesus decides to come to them. That's sometime between 3 and 6 a.m. Pitch black, Jesus comes down off the mountain and does this really cool thing walking across the water. And his disciples, because they're already scared and a bit kind of traumatized by the waves and the storm and they think they might going to... They suddenly see Jesus coming and they think, it's a ghost. They're really, really freaked out. We know the rest of the story really well. And um, Peter, Jesus calls out to them in the midst of their fear and says, <laughs> don't panic, don't worry, take heart, it's I, have no fear. He actually uses that phrase, I am. There's that kind of pointing at his divinity again. Don't be afraid. Remember me, I'm, I, I am the I am. I am the Son of God. Don't be afraid. And Peter, who, as I said this morning, is the first one often to um, open his mouth, to take his foot out quite often. He says, Lord, is it you? If it is you, call me to yourself. And Jesus calls him and he throws his feet over the side of the boat and he goes. Now, those of us that grew up in Sunday school, you know, remember Peter walking on water. But what we all remember, the teacher saying, yes, but he took his eyes off Jesus and he sunk into the water. And Jesus had to rescue him. But you know what? He walked on water. He went. I think there was something in Peter. It wasn't about wanting to look supernatural. It wasn't about wanting to copy Jesus. I think simply in that moment of fear and anxiety and desperation, He simply wanted to be where Jesus was. He wanted to go to him. He wanted to run to him. There's real wisdom in that for us. Maybe you feel like you're in that boat. Maybe you feel like you're one of the disciples. Jesus, where are you? The storms are really rattling around. I'm really struggling right now. I'm at the oars and I'm not sure you're kind of really with me. Maybe you feel like Peter. You're longing to go and run to him and there's a kind of boldness in you that you want to put your legs over the side and run to him. Or maybe you're a bit like Peter that you have done that. You've kind of stepped out of the boat but your experience right now is one of, oh my goodness, I'm sinking. This is, suddenly Peter catches sight of the kind of the waves. You can imagine it, can't you? Peter, the fisherman who understands about water, he knows what it's supposed to be like. He's thrown his legs over the side and he's gone, he's off. And then suddenly the rational part of the brain kicks in. You look at the waves and you think, hang on a minute, I'm walking on water. And he starts to sink. How many of us have started in the spirit and ended up yielding to the pressure of fear or anxiety or overwhelmed by the darkness around us and we, we sink? Of course, the great news for him and the great news for us is that Jesus doesn't kind of give him a really hard time about that. Jesus' first response is to grab hold of him and to lift him. 
Many of you know what that feels like here. Those girls in Sri Lanka certainly know what it is to be rescued and found by Jesus. He got out of the boat. He walked on water. Who do you identify with in this story? Where are you in this story? The disciples in the boat, overwhelmed by uncertainty. Peter, longing to run to Jesus. Or maybe Peter, say, who's sinking. Or Peter, who's been rescued. I guess tomorrow, as I said this morning and the next day, we might be like the disciples, nice and safe in the boat. It's secure. The waves are rattling around us and we're a bit scared, but actually at least this is secure. But maybe you're sitting in the boat thinking, but is there more to life than this? Is this it? Is this as good as it gets? Or maybe God's calling some of us, all of us, to step out the boat, to not just sit there and say, do you know what, I'm going to dare to dream. I'm going to dare to believe there is more. And actually, rather than just sitting here, I'm going to try and step out. Why did he go? Why did Peter step out? Why did the others stay? We'll never really know what was going on in their hearts. Sometimes one of the reasons we are afraid to step out, one of the reasons we're afraid to run after our dreams is perhaps because we're afraid we might fail. Fear robs us. Fear often paralyzes us. What if I fail? What if there'll be no one there to catch me? What happens if I struggle? What happens if it goes wrong? What if no one believes in me? I can't do it on my own. The house where the girls stay, it's called Haven House. And a haven is a safe place. It's a refuge. That's what the word haven means. Psalm 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. It says at the end of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes, I know for me, I'm an activist. I run around. I love doing things. But actually, there's times I have to, like Jesus on the mountain, just stop to be still and know that God's God. And when you do that, there's a perspective change that happens and everything comes into alignment. You think, yeah, this is who God is. He is my refuge. He is my strength and ever-present help. And that psalm says, when we understand who he really is, therefore we will not fear. That's the key, I think. Truly knowing God and therefore who we are in him. And for these girls, that's what they've come to. They've come to a place of rescue, of love. Haven House is a family. It's not an institution. There are many um, girls on the streets who have been rescued. There's many homes run by all sorts of organizations, government organizations. Um, Some of the other religions kind of run homes. But I think one of the things that's different about Haven House is that um, Pastor George, who set it up, and Jerry, who's helping to run it now with Isabel, you know, they said, we don't want an institution. We want this place to be a family. What these girls need is family. And when you're in a family, you have a new level of confidence that actually there will be someone there to catch you. There will be someone to help you, to walk with you, to put their hand out, to encourage you to step out of the boat. So when I talked to these girls and said, what do you dream of? Remember these girls, for many of them, the dream for them had been just living through another day not being beaten, not being abused, maybe getting enough food to survive. Now you speak to these girls. They have dreams and hopes. They've been educated. They've been sent to school. Uh, Some of them do apprenticeships. Many of them want to get married. They want to have children. I spoke to one girl who had been in the home who's now very involved in the church. And I asked her what last time I was in Sri Lanka. I said, what do you want to do in the future? What do you dream of? And she replied in the most spectacular English, well, I'd really rather like to be an elocution teacher. <laughs> you think, wow, 
wow, this girl speaks better English than my kids. Kids, kids, come and talk to this girl. You know, and they have dreams and hopes and aspirations now because they've encountered a God who says, you are worth more than you ever imagined. And I have a plan for you, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future. And so when you look at these girls, some of them speak English, some of them are just learning English. We, we, we had Jerry to translate. When you listen to them, you hear hearts full of hope. They haven't got loads of riches or loads of wealth, but what they have got is a family around them who love them and a Father in heaven who believes in them. What about you? It should be no different for you and for me. God believes in you. God's inspired these girls to begin to dream again of what might be in the future. And he wants you to dare to dream. Whether you're 12 or 112, I said this morning, there's more that God wants to call you to. So what are your dreams for your life? Maybe for family, for work, for ministry, for kingdom stuff. Listen to that verse again as I draw to a close. Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He's able to do far more than we could ever dare or even dream of. So I think having a really big dream is a good idea because God says he can do more than you can dream of. How big's your dream? I think God wants you to have a big dream so that he can say, that's a great dream, but I've got an even bigger dream for you. I'm the type of person, I can imagine a lot, I can dream for quite a lot. That's a good thing. There's a great line in Star Wars. <laughs> you weren't expecting that, were you? Where Princess Leia is being rescued and Luke Skywalker says to... Um, uh, to um, Harrison Ford says, um, you know, she's rich, way beyond your wildest dreams. And he says, I I don't know, I can dream of a lot. I wonder spiritually if you and I can be like that. God's saying here, you know, I can do more than you can imagine. Maybe a bit like Harrison Ford, you need to say, well, God, I can imagine a lot. And I think the Father in heaven smiles and says, great, great son, great kiddo. Dream a bit more, because I'm the God who wants to do more than you can imagine. Because it's for his glory and for his kingdom that many are blessed. Faith is choosing then and believing God's dream for your life. God gave you the ability to dream, to create, to imagine. And dreaming then can be, I think, an act of faith. Everything you see in the world, in a sense, started as a dream. God's dream for humanity, for creation. What do you dream after? And how might we run after some of those dreams? Three short things. First, dare to ask. If you want to know God's hand, God's blessing in your life, you need to dare to ask for it. Have you asked God, God, what's your dream for my life? What do you want to do in me and through me? It's a good thing to ask here's a great question I think perhaps it's a challenging question for you to go and think about what would I attempt for God if I thought that I couldn't fail what would I attempt for God if I thought that I couldn't fail maybe let that expand your vision second of all so the first thing is dare to ask God God what, what might be your dream for my life so that I can partner with you and the second thing is we need to really believe God's promises. The Bible's full of promises. There's, there's, there's enough for us to run after. The Bible says in Jeremiah 32, 
27. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? With God, all things are possible. We're talking about regenerating this building so that it's useful for a new generation, for the city. We're only a small congregation, but we feel God's called us to do it. We've got great plans. We've got some beautiful plans. We don't want to turn this into some beautiful icon. We want it to be useful for the community, for the city, and for God's kingdom. We want to be an apostolic center for sending people, for training people, for there to be healing rooms, for there to be places people can come and learn, and for people to experience family. That's what we want it to be. And it's going to take way more money than we have. But with God, all things are possible. And if God wants us to do it, then God can help us on that journey. We need to believe him. Is anything too hard for me, says God. Never let an impossible situation intimidate you. Maybe some of you have got dreams or longings for your life. Maybe some of you, I know some of you want to start businesses. Some of you want to do things in the future. Some of you want to do kingdom things. Never let an impossible or a difficult situation intimidate you. Let it motivate you to pray more. Since we've started realizing how much we need for this building, we started praying a whole lot more. That's a really good thing. We need to pray more. We need to call out to God and pursue him. We need to believe more, trust more, experience more of his goodness, learn more and grow more. And we do that together. We do that in partnership. Sometimes one of us struggles. Well, because we're family, we encourage one another. We spur one another on. We stand together. We laugh together. We do a lot of that here. We eat together. We do quite a lot of that as well. But also we weep together when things are tough. That's what family does. Faith, I think, always works in the realm of the impossible. Many of you know I worked at the George Muller Foundation for years. George Muller's whole thing was just trusting God and praying for his provision, believing that God was the God who would provide. George, who set up the orphanage, he loves George Muller. He's read all his books. He's inspired by him. And when I told him that I'd worked at the George Muller Foundation, he nearly had a seizure. He, was, he kept wanting to touch me because I'd worked at the George Muller Foundation. But he's a man of real faith. It's beautiful. The gift of faith is remarkable. And the orphanage that they've built and the work and the church that's building there and all of that ministry that started years ago was set up in a tiny church with no money in Sri Lanka where there is no money. And God's built this incredible thing and provided faith. Hudson Taylor, born in 1832, was a missionary to China, founder of the China Inland Mission. He said this. It's a quote that I mentioned a while ago and I've just recently found out it was Hudson Taylor that said it. There are three stages to every great work of God. First, it's impossible then it's difficult, then it's done. I really like that. We should paint that across our building while we're trying to wait for God to help us provide. He said that in, in, kind of in the 1850s when he was serving in China when they were starting this incredible move of God. Hudson Taylor, interestingly, was prayed for by George Muller at a desk in Bristol where I used to work and it sent out George Muller's faith inspiring Hudson Taylor to be a man of faith and he went out and did incredible things for God. There are three stages to every great work of God. First it's impossible, then it's difficult, then it's done. That's true in your life. He's actually a really quotable chap, Hudson Taylor. (laughs) He also said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supplies. I think that's really true. So the last thing, third thing, which is kind of where we started, it's an encouragement to you to dream big. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possessions. Psalm 2, verse 8. The size of your God 
can often determine the size of your goal, the size of your vision, the size of your dreams. We need to believe that we have a big God. We sung that song, You Are Good, Good. Do you know God is a good father? Many of us have had really difficult things in our lives. Those girls in Sri Lanka have, but they've come to understand that there's a good, good father who loves them, who's for them. And God, I think, wants us to dream big dreams for his kingdom, not to make us look good, but so that his kingdom expands, that people are touched, that lives are transformed. If George hadn't had that goal of going and planting a church and trying to rescue some of these girls without any provision, without anyone to partner with, without any finances, but he dreamed that God wanted him to do that and something in his heart wanted to do it, well, we wouldn't be building with them now if he hadn't dared to believe that might be possible. You haven't really believed God until you've attempted something that can't be done in the power of the flesh. I think that's sometimes true. If, if our dream, our goal, our vision isn't big enough, well then the trouble is we'll do it in our own strength. But actually if it's beyond ourselves, it has to be God and we look to him. If we want to walk on water, we've got to get out of the boat. And that's a challenge in that for all of us. I see that in my own life. For my kids going out to Sri Lanka, I have to be honest, um, Sam was really nervous about it. He didn't know what to expect. He likes things really neat and ordered. You know, kids are all different, aren't they? He loves things neat and ordered. He doesn't like a mess. And the thought that there could be all sorts of germs and dengue fever and rabid dogs and all of that didn't kind of attract him to the thought of going to Sri Lanka, strangely enough. But we went as a family. And as we started praying for these girls, and on the Sunday I preached at the church and we had a ministry time and everyone poured forward, my kids were absolutely whacked by the power of the Holy Spirit and they were praying for people. And God's power turned up and the church was blessed and we were blessed my kids were blessed. We came back far more blessed than anything that we gave. God is good. He loves his church, whether it's here, whether it's there. We're family together. And God's encouraging us to dream big for what he wants to do in us and through us. I'd love to pray for us, so we're just going to close in worship. It may be that uh, you want to use this kind of closing worship just to say, okay, God, here I am. I've had dreams in the past. There have been times I've got out of the boat, and actually it's all gone a bit wrong. Or I've wanted to get out of the boat, but I haven't known what that means or what that looks like. This is an opportunity just in worship to just say, Lord, here I am again. I commit my ways to you. Lord, would you enlarge my vision? Lord, would you give me faith to dare to believe for the impossible? Would you help me? to move towards seeing it done not by might, not by power, but by your spirit and maybe God wants to plant new dreams in you, you may want to chat to someone tonight or talk to some of the team obviously we've got home groups here and life hubs that are a great place to do that there's always a team that would love to pray for you, um, kind of, we're not going to kind of have a formal kind of ministry time here, but if you would love someone to pray with you and you're stirred tonight come and chat to, uh, to Jenny or to Tamsin or to Sarah or one of the team, Peach and Victoria, Mark and Debbie, someone you know. We'd love to pray with you. We believe that God's a supernatural God that breaks through. And whether you're part of the church family here or whether you're visiting, we'd love to bless you and stand with you. So I'm going to invite the band up. I'm going to pray. And let's just close in some worship.